This Much We Know is a podcast offering an honest and informative perspective of the realities and motivations of setting up a social enterprise. We'll be joined by guest social entrepreneurs and charity leaders whose trading models work to end homelessness. We'll be sharing their stories, tips, and of course, their facepalm moments. Homeless Link is the national membership charity for organisations working directly with people who become homeless in England. We work to make services better and campaign for policy change that will help end homelessness. Homeless Link members get access to benefits that support you to build and develop your organisation and ensure your voice and experience is heard at a national, regional and local level. To find out more about Homeless Link membership for your organisation, visit homeless.org.uk forward slash join. We're really pleased to have Rebecca White with us today, CEO and founder of Your Own Place. Rebecca, welcome. Hi, uh, thank you very much for having me. And yes, I am CEO and founder, among other things, of Your Own Place. Awesome. To start us off for our listeners, could you just let us know a bit about your story, how you got to where you are, how Your Own Place started out, and what you're hoping for sort of in, the, in the coming months? Sure, yes, thank you. Never quite sure what to in- include at this point. It always seems incredibly unremarkable but I also think really important is how unplanned it was how impressed I am with people who decide they're going to be a CEO or a founder or set up a business of a certain size Um, and I I have had and have none of those ambitions either to run anything or to earn any money so so in terms of where it comes from really I'm a ex-teacher by trade and I think that that's that's relevant because your own place wouldn't exist without um, those facilitation skills and the confidence to stand in front of 30, 16 year olds, which is kind of where, where it all started really. Um, but, but quickly ditching teaching um, for, for the same reason as lots of people ditch teaching. I found myself working with young homeless people in South London from, um, and, and from there I, I progressed into home office projects in, in uh, Peckham, Bermondsey, Greenwich, Bromley, Guns Gang and Knife Crime Prevention projects which seemed seamlessly to move into uh, a management role, working working in prisons um, and, and continuing really to work with those facing most disadvantage, most challenges, and, and consider myself unbelievably lucky to have had that decade for the economic crash in South East London, I guess, to cut my teeth. But being a South Norfolk girl, my, my partner at the time and I decided to move back um, and I became a local authority commissioner with Norfolk County Council. Um, and so someone who's never really stayed anywhere particularly long, I tend to refer to myself as a bit of a non-conformist. I'm not, not great at fitting in and, and playing by the rules, which I suspect is fairly common amongst people doing what I'm doing. But, but I guess the, the significant bit really throughout all of that is the importance of building relationships. You know, what, what, what gave me the right, the ability to connect with a black 16 year old guy living in in Peckham was really because of my belief in equity and and non-judgment and the importance of building a relationship before we focus on any other outcome and that that really runs through everything I've done since and then the other bit which is the same thread I saw through people I've worked with all, all backgrounds and ages that homelessness is just one manifestation of deep inequality um, for all the policy documents and, and all, all the seminars and webinars you can go to, I, I bring it down to if you're unlucky enough really to have a, a lack of cash and or connections, it's really very easy to become homeless and things unravel very, very quickly. And what I saw with people, particularly young people, but we work with all ages, 
is people just abandoned by a statutory system that just sort of doesn't really work. It, people fall mm. off a cliff edge, whether it's care leavers at 18, whether it's uh, asylum seekers once they've got their refugee status, or whether it's people coming out of custody. All sorts of cliff edges exist for people who've already faced huge disadvantage. And then they're put in a, some kind of accommodation and expected without the skills, without the support, without the cash, without the connections for it to work. And really that's that's the thread I saw across my, my career. And that's why Your Own Place exists, to, to meet that gap and to prevent people um, from having to do something that is utterly preventable, which is to lose their home. Mm. Yeah, I think we can see more than ever how how quick and easy it is to, to fall through those gaps and how the, the system that we're operating in doesn't work. And now that we've got these, you know, the sort of effects of, of the pandemic and, you know, the economy at the moment, people are realising how, how close it is to reality. So yeah, really important work. Your own place, day to day, you know, what, what, what do you do? What does the organisation do? How does it work with people? Yeah, sure. So at, at really at the heart of what we do, on, on, on one level, it is those relationships. It's because we're committed to and remain utterly committed to working with those facing most disadvantage, facing most barriers. And so it's got ever harder to build relationships with people. Um, 90% of the people we work with are facing a mental health challenge. And what we're trying to do is shoehorn them into a workshop that will provide them with the knowledge, skills, confidence and resilience to navigate keeping their own place. Um, and so it's really, on the one hand, very simple. It's a range of workshops with a huge amount of money skills content, including content around what their housing options are. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a teacher through and through. I believe people um, that knowledge is power, that um, there's no judgment that if after our debt and APR session, you want to go and borrow a thousand percent interest, then, you know, that those are people's decisions, but that people should have the knowledge and what we find is people don't. So, so we run workshops um, with very small groups of people with very little writing involved. We've turned one person away in nearly a decade that we really couldn't make it work. And that was, that was dangerous. It's totally inclusive. It's totally neurodivergent accessible. So people with a range of learning difficulties, challenges, English as a second language can make it work for them. So it's a really unique way of not only delivering the content, but having really high quality content with small groups of people. And, and, and it's not about going away and looking and, and being an expert at debt and APR, because you can look that up on Google. It's about going away and having the confidence to look it up having the confidence in what your own situation is, knowing your own strengths, knowing where to get help, knowing you're not alone and taking those steps forward. And more often than not, as well as the outcomes data we have at the end of our workshops, we get the response, I went through my bin and picked out all my bills because I suddenly realized I could, or I phoned the utility company because I realized that I could set up a repayment plan and I didn't know that or I called my landlord because I realized they don't want to evict me and I could start a repayment plan. So, so it's the Philip, it's the lever, it's the moment of confidence um, mm. that people take away to, to have agency in their own lives and decision-making. I love that. You've got such a way with words. There's a few phrases that you've said, or, you know, we're less than 10 minutes in and there's a few phrases that I'm like, oh, I'm going to use that. Oh, I'm going to use that. <laughs> You're welcome. Nice to hear somebody else using the word agency because I use that a lot and people are like, is that something that you consultants make up to make us feel like there's a new thing? And I'm like, no, it, it lies at the heart of a lot of homelessness services. That if yeah. we can have people to have more self-agency, 
it changes it changes the game from being one where we sort yeah. of rescue people to people actually feel empowered to do it for themselves is that it's completely that um, and look out look out for my blog on thursday you know where i'm talking about why prevention still matters in a crisis and you know and i one of our values is being restorative and it's jargon and it's unhelpful but that's exactly what's at the heart of, of agency and and it's why we're a social enterprise i'm not here to save souls i'm not here to patch people up i'm not here to ask for donations um it's the words of the biggest you founder john bird you know it's a hand up not a handout we want to do things with people to empower people, a much overused word, so that people can go away with dignity, knowing what their skills are, knowing that they've been through shit before, sorry. Um, and so actually, what are you going to learn from that? What did you, you know, simple coaching questions. What did you do last time? What worked? Who did you turn to last time to enable people to realise, I've got this, I can do this, I can take steps forward. Um, and that's, that's having agency. It's not rocket science. And yet, we seem to exist in a third sector that just wants to sort of patronise and fix people. And that's not what we want to do. Brilliant. And, and the social enterprise element then. Yeah. So you talked a bit about um, how you work with people and your kind of mindset around, around what's useful. How, how does the business side work? <laughs> sort of variably. Um, and, and as I said, very unplannedly. Um, so, so I suppose, you know, we're a CIC, we're a community interest company. Um, so on the one hand, that happened kind of uh, by chance. You know, there I was as a local authority commissioner and an email pops into my box from the School for Social Entrepreneurs saying, got an idea, want to come to a startup programme. Um, and, and, and so I did. And uncoincidentally, your own place was born three months later. Um, so, you know, of all the million things I've got wrong one of the things I don't regret is setting your own place up as a CIC and whilst at times disaffected by that model and the lack of understanding and the the, the, the challenges among commissioners and you know, yeah the, the day-to-day challenges of making that work I, I stick by the notion that we provide something of quality and of value because principally the people we work with deserve no less and therefore that's worth buying and paying for at the market price. And any profit we make on that enables us to continue to be exceptional, high quality, innovative and give back into the business. And I, I happen to really believe in that rather than the philanthropic, slightly rough around the edges model. And I'm not putting, don't mean to put charities down. There are some outstanding charities without which we'd be screwed as a country doing amazing things. Um, but I do think our model of being a CIC replicates our model of how we work with people, which is how much how much we value them. Mm, yeah, I really like that. I think the thing that social enterprise does really well is that empowerment piece, you know, making sure that we we invest in good things, mm-hmm. you know, doing putting money towards something can be corporate. You know, if you're doing a business that does good. Mm. there should be investment in that it didn't have to be always for free (laughs) Mm. no but but the reality is 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 very different you know we're we're, it's 2022 and we're the country is in some degree of crisis and need is not demand just because there's plenty of need I've been ranting for 25 years people should be better invested in and I'm not convinced we're there yet (laughs) no no I don't think so I'm just moving things on a little bit Rebecca and now this morning people might be listening to this my LinkedIn went off this morning and what is it it was Rebecca posting about our podcast this afternoon which I thought was brilliant I was like yes I can't wait for this afternoon's conversation now um because 
yeah, as you know, this season that we're working on now, we're talking to female social entrepreneurs in the space. And it, a bit like you've mentioned, unplanned. This podcast, people might have gathered by now, is, is kind of <laughs> random, but fun. But we had a guest on and she raised, she really flagged it and was really saying, we need to see more female representation in the social enterprise space. We're like, all right, then let's get a few guests on. Let's have some conversation about this subject. So I love the post that you sent out this morning because I thought, yep, that's exactly why we've set out to do this. What's your take on that? What do you think about even that notion of being pigeonholed as a female social entrepreneur? Yeah, well, I think as I um, said said this morning, really, I, I don't think about it on, on, on a whole load of levels. One is that I don't know what I don't know. So I only know that I'm female. <laughs> I'm running a social enterprise. I haven't run a social enterprise as a man. Um, I haven't run any other business as, as anything. So, you know, it's, it's incredibly hard to look at that in, in any kind of objective way. I'm a big fan of data and stats and baselines. And that's why I find this hard, this sort of thing really, really difficult. I, ca- I can't compare it. I'm not going to give you lots of emotions about it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I am... A feminist I'm aware of the world around me is deeply deeply unequal and when I have a moment to reflect I, I sometimes think of some conversations yes with men where I think yes do you know what you treated me like that because I'm a woman can I prove it no do I linger over it no um, I continue to be what I hope I'd be whether I was whatever gender I was which is to try and try and be the best and and, and win at being the best social entrepreneur not the best female social entrepreneur um, I think it's a zero-sum game. I want to be be with the women, not kind of at the top of the women. And just if I'm a role model, if it's replicable, if somebody looks up and says, there's a short, short-haired woman who can do something, I can do something too, then great. But, you know, I, I get asked to speak at schools and I, I have to say, no, I, I don't have the time. I don't, I, I only have my experience. I don't, I, I don't think there's lots to be taken away from that. All I know is how I've navigated it by kind of, bumping along making mistakes falling over and carrying on and that feels so unique to me it doesn't feel like a hugely replicable model so so no I I don't spend lots of time thinking about being a woman but but yes it does come up in the office because in a team of nine we're eight women and one man (laughs) yeah I think the the kind of gist behind doing this is to to shed light on the fact that despite there being more female social entrepreneurs than male social entrepreneurs there is much more funding directed in the, in the larger male-led um, enterprises mm-hmm. and so we wanted to give space to have that conversation mm-hmm. and also speak to um, women in social finance in social enterprise about it because mm-hmm. these conversations are you know often unrecorded <laughs> they're left hidden and actually this this podcast is a space for anyone within the the sector and and those outside of it also to to learn and and sort of see the human side of it behind it mm-hmm. one of the key things that that we talk about here which which you've kind of just touched on was that we we really encourage people to share their own learning experiences you know that the feeling of fumbling along and going oops 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 oh that worked out okay mm-hmm. and and then sharing that to to come for others you know it can be quite a lonely road working in this space because it's a passion project and a professional project Mm -hmm. with a huge amount of pressure behind it Mm -hmm. Uh, and you have to really plug yourself you know Mm -hmm. which is quite unnatural for people often working in this in the sector Mm -hmm. so we wanted to use it as a tool to 
encourage people to tell their stories to make other people feel more okay about doing it so yes I think whilst everyone has a really unique experience in this and it isn't going to be replicable it's not you know no one's going to be uniformed mm. actually just the just the honesty sometimes of someone going mm. yeah this went wrong or I was so proud of this mm. that matters those those things matter in those stories mm. yeah um, yeah yeah no I, I I get that and I think that the, the, the bits so many resonances you know it's unbelievably isolating unbelievably lonely and um, you know I have, I have a fantastic team and and two fantastic operational managers but I don't have a leadership team you know and I think that's uh, I mean honestly there are way too many mistakes to mention I come from a family with no business acumen no business background no money no sort of social purpose other than sort of being broadly kind of lefties and teachers you know there there is none of that and yeah you just it's it's okay to make it up I guess yeah yeah and I think by by trying and doing it and and looking at solutions as well it, it helps pave the way for other people um and helps people think oh maybe maybe I could do that you mentioned that the, the email fell into your into your email box and then you replied and then this happened unplanned are there any sort of notable people that helped you along that way that a conversation with a particular individual supported that journey so you're sort of on it by mistake but are there people in that that come to mind when I ask that question I mean there's sort of there's everybody and nobody really you know I think my life is fundamentally different because of this particular route I've taken because of the people I've met and the skills I've had to develop and the resilience I've generated which I think was there but but there are new depths, but pe people come and go, you know, you, you, you go to the school of social entrepreneurs or you go on an accelerator or you go on a program and people dip in and they dip out. And I think one of the things I've always struggled with is unless you live and breathe this, you don't really know what it's like. And, and I think there's, there's something different about being a CEO as being a CEO founder. I do, I do think those are different. And I do think as well, when I look at the, at the gender mix and the finance mix, I suspect that's that's different again, you know, and we remain very, very small. Um, and then how the big boys literally kind of become big boys. A lot of the support out there is for those those big organisations, you know, aren't CEO, founder led. So, you know, there were there have been so many conversations and sometimes I wish I'd kind of mapped them all and wondered, you know, joined up the, the iterations and the linkages. I, I do remember one just really early on, just um, some, somebody in Norwich who didn't run a social enterprise, but, but did say something incredibly useful, which I'm not a perfectionist, but I am a, I suppose, uh, not a planner. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a reactor, really. Um, and she said, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect to give it a go, you know, and I think and that, that remains a massive barrier for me is sticking my head above the parapet before something is perfected. Um, and of course you learn that, that, that the doing is part of the perfecting. And so that, that, was, that was really valuable. She said, you know, it's, it's the minimum viable product nonsense, isn't it? It's kind of give it a go um, and, and, and test it as, as part of the journey, which is all well and good if you've got finance and backing, which I didn't have, you know, I had, I had a mortgage to pay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, was, that was helpful. And there have been lots along the way and I've got better at asking because that's, that's the thing as well, you know, I talk a lot at your own place about professional curiosity and the importance of asking good questions. And that's much harder than it sounds. 
the number of people I meet who actually just don't ask questions, they just broadcast. And how we can ever understand what people's need is if we don't ask and listen. And I think that's a real theme through leadership. Yeah, I really like that. It, earlier you said, what gives me the right to, to, you know, to work with people who haven't had the same life as you, somebody who's walking in different shoes. How can we justify uh, entering their position to, to you know, do what we think might be helpful? Mm. Is that a topic that you've, that you've explored much? Is that something that you, ha- that you sort of struggle with in, in working out what your role is? Yeah, yeah, I think about privilege and right all the time, pretty much constantly. Yeah. Um, because, partly because the state of the world's in right now, you know, I'll, I'll literally be making a coffee in the morning and just thinking, I'm so lucky. I've got mm. a roof over my head and I can make a coffee and meet somebody in a coffee shop and not worry about tapping my card and it costing £2.90. You know, the, the nature of my entire career and the people I've worked with means I'm acutely aware of that all the time and so yeah I, I think about it constantly my my privilege and my my self-worth because I think that's that's the the, at the nub of it all is what right have I got what you know somebody with no business background no money no nothing you know what I had have is just sort of fundamental self-belief that it'll probably be okay you know it'll probably work out and if it doesn't it'll still probably work out because I'll get another job. And I, that, and that's the bit that's missing for a lot of the people we work with. Yeah. That safety net. Kind of I don't have a financial safety net or a love safety net particularly. You know, I lost my, my final parent in August. But I just, I figure it'll be okay. And that's a huge privilege. Mm. Yeah, I think it's when we take for granted a lot, thinking, mm. you know, plan B isn't so bad. And after plan B, there's probably a plan C. Yeah. And some of that just comes with age and experience, I think. I think some people are extraordinary and have it at 21 and write country songs about it, and they're amazing. And some of us just get it through the hard knocks of life um, and the hard knocks of running a social enterprise. And so, you know, I'm equally grateful for having had this opportunity because I think it's made me, I think it's honestly made me a better, more rounded, thoughtful human being. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough a tough role to play and um, developing a social enterprise that, that has this because there is the the pressure to take risks and, and invest in moving it forward mm-hmm. and at the same time the pressure that if those risks don't play out that's people's lives yeah so it's, it's a big weight to carry the positives as well are are huge in you know, feeling mm-hmm. you've done what, some with your life you know it's amazing <laughs> what are the things that bother you in this current space that you're working in what are the things that you think oh are we still there we're still talking about that or <laughs> yeah all of it <laughs> all of it oh good we'll start a whole new podcast recording today, <laughs> yeah it is that thing when you you know been around a, a little bit longer and you've seen one economic crash and now you're sort of seeing another there are deeply depressing elements to that and, and one of those is particularly I think around um, the prison system um again I sort of count that as one of my massive privileges to have visited a dozen prisons up and down the country in my work um, and worked in in them with with amazing people and people who were there just because of the start in life they'd had and and I see it come up on LinkedIn you know little things you know like getting ID if you come out of prison or getting your benefits switched on soon enough so that you've got money when you come out of prison and I just think yeah I was having that conversation 20 years ago 
Mm. We still haven't fixed that. We can Elon yeah. Musk can send mm. rockets into space and buy Twitter for billions of pounds and we can't sort out somebody's passport ID so they can sort out their benefit claim on release from prison, meaning they're far more likely to commit a crime and go back in. And that sort of stuff, that's, and that's just, again, the, the opposite of the privilege. That's just if you're, if everything's set against you, everything is set against you. Mm. Fighting against that is so, so hard. Yeah, it's so, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, well, most of my friends don't understand my job. That's the first thing. But secondly, they're like, oh, well, that would be easily fixed. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, really? You want to come and have a look? Come and have a look at the system and, and the environment that, or, you know, that clients I look after, charities, social enterprises are working within. Come and look at the system they're working in. Yeah. Uh, and then you'll see for yourself just how complicated it is. But I do equally. The, the flip side of that is it's not that complicated. Like this could be more simple and we could sort that. If we, if we wanted to fix some of these big yeah. social problems like that, like yeah. when you get released from prison, you get 32 quid in your pocket or whatever the, the figure is now. Yeah. If we really wanted to fix it, we could, couldn't we? Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, that's my long, that's my long-term frustration or pet peeve with this particular space we all work in is that, I, yeah, we could fix some of this stuff. You know. So possible. It is at, you know, it is an arm's reach away. All the plans are there. The the research has been done. The the ideas are there. It's criminal that we haven't that we haven't done it. You know, it's it's embarrassing, really. Mm. Um, and therefore, you can only put it down to choice in the end. You know, and, and it's why one of our sort of values is, is actually empathy, because I do think so much of the will to overcome the barriers and to make the changes is rooted in, in empathy for other people's situations and our choices we make daily, whether we walk past someone or whether we see their pain, really. Have there been, are there particularly young people that you're particularly proud of the work you've done with as an organisation? Are there sort of young people that you'd say, this will end tomorrow, that particular incident that we had an impact on I'd, I'd do it for that mm-hmm. or I'll, I'll just get on one of my, my soapboxes for a moment we work with all ages um I okay. think a lot of people think we're a young people's organization but we work with they do okay good um, yeah you know, which is one of the joys actually we'll have workshops with an 18 year old in and a 68 year old in um, yeah he's part of the peer the peer group support and learning um there are there are so many i mean you know i'm, I'm ceo now i'm not doing a huge amount of operations i'm you know I, I did that in my 20s in london and as a teacher i i, I work mm-hmm. directly with people i don't work directly with individuals anymore i see my team do that and you know that the, the team whatsapp channel um is never quiet i've got erin doing amazing things in ipswich today i've got emily and jess in in kings lynn tomorrow working uh, with people in sanctuary housing supported living to to gain their voice about what that service should do to support them into independence and we've got some mentoring um, in Norwich coming to an end we've got people in Brighton we're supporting and I hear all the time as I say on the WhatsApp channel somebody who says you know thank you thank you for treating me differently if you hadn't had your approaches I wouldn't have been heard I wouldn't have found my voice I wouldn't have found my confidence that's what we get again and again and again. And that's the only outcome that matters because without those outcomes, we don't get any of the others. So there, you know, there are spreadsheets and reports and data. I have recounted and reported and measured every single thing we have done since the 28th of October, 2013, the date we started very, very proudly. And yeah, there are reams and reams and reams and reams. Looking at the current kind of uh, cost of living crisis. Yeah. And thinking about the 
the, the new groups as well that we're seeing looking for support and looking to better educate themselves and understanding their, their positions. Mm-hmm. If you could speak to a round table of funders, what, what are the key messages that you'd want to say, this is what you need to do right now, because this is what's going to be changing? I mean, these are conversations that, that, that I've been having and, and, you know, we face as a business huge challenges because our, our customers are hit by the cost of living um, as well as, mm. you know, the people we actually support. And so we're looking at this all the time. I, I think some of the things that, that I've been saying are it can be prevented. Um, and as I said, the, the, the blog on Thursday, you know, crisis is not the time to give up on prevention and, and particularly in all of those services um, even if you don't care as a taxpayer, but there are still all of those services that are getting hit because we're not still not getting prevention right. Um, and what we will see by rafts of people who've not previously been in trouble is the increase in children coming into care. The driver of coming into care is poverty, an increase in crime, an increase in unemployment, an increase in welfare dependency, um, and just wasted lives and broken lost opportunities and it doesn't have to be like that and not only therefore is prevention a potential cost benefit but it frees up your teams too you know I'm hearing we're seeing so many more sticking plasters and I think that's the bit that really gets my goat as a prevention organization I don't want to see anyone go hungry I've been to four food banks in the last fortnight and seen the astonishing work they do that's important and also tackles isolation builds community resilience and all of those other things but I want to put them out of business um, because nobody should have to be reliant on a food bank and it doesn't fix any underlying causes. Now, I get it. If you're a volunteer living in NR3 in, in, in Norwich, you don't feel you can tackle the root causes because it's housing and it's Ukraine and it's COVID and it's inflation. Those are out of mortals control. But we can still invest in prevention services. We can empower people with dignity not to have to go to the food bank because they found out somewhere else they can go for help or, you know, support with um, understanding their debt or, as I said, help getting the help from the landlord or um, speaking to the utility company. I'm not pretending I can fix it. This, This stuff is way out of control. Martin Lewis has made it quite clear the numbers don't add up. I used to run budgeting workshops in South London 20 years ago. And because it was London, the numbers hardly added up then. I'm under no illusions, but there's a raft of people for whom it can be prevented. You know, we can throw a life ring in once, but it's incumbent on us not to keep throwing the life ring in. That person has a right not to keep falling in. Mm. And they only keep falling in because we're getting the support wrong, because we didn't prevent it. Yeah, and access to services shouldn't happen at crisis point. You know, that, that we, we've learned from there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really good. I like the um, sticking plasters as well mm-hmm. as a as a sort of phrase to understand um, crisis intervention funding. Yeah, I, I was speaking to, that. I've spoken to about three housing associations. They're our core customers, you know, and they're under huge pressure, and they're about to come under a lot of pressure over this winter. Yeah, I know, and bless them, they proudly tell me um, that they've got you know these hundred, two hundred thousand pound hardship pots of money, and I kind of okay, and and when that runs out in October. What are, you, what are you doing now to build the confidence and skills, knowledge and resilience of your tenants for this winter? What are you doing beyond sticking plasters? I ask it nicer than that. Mm. Um, but, you know, what, what's, what's, what's going on? Mm. Housing associations are incredible. Their COVID response is incredible. They are right there. Some of them have fantastic relationships with their tenants. 
but all we're doing is patching people up again. Do you think there is, I mentioned earlier that you get asked by schools sometimes to come and speak and, and do that. And I, I'm always a firm believer of that our, our education system is completely lacking in any sort of general skills learning. You know, I didn't know anything about politics. There, there is so much that, that you just don't get taught. You know, things that are changing a light bulb. Yeah. Basic life skills, how much to budget, what percentage of your salary should go towards rent? You know, what's absurd? Obviously, living in London, it, it's always absurd. That's why I left. <laughs> but yeah, those those sort of basic things. Do you sort of think that we could be working better? How, how can we work better with schools to... Yeah. To look at the prevention piece. Yeah, well, obviously, as, a, as an ex-teacher, I'm kind of passionate about, yeah. about young people and about those bits that are missing and providing those skills and, and that knowledge, again, to those most at risk. Um, you know, I, th- I think there's a, definitely a place for doing that universally. But, you know, I'm in the interest, I'm in the interest and, and the business of reducing inequality and therefore I want to work with those um, facing most disadvantage. And yes, you know, we get the feedback probably once every other workshop someone says you know literally why didn't we do this in school um to which i don't have an answer um and i don't have the funding to do it either you know mm. i've i've tentatively approached the odd kind of business or someone over the years but i don't have time to spread myself thinly um across multiple funders and multiple customers so yes you know schools can't afford it quite clearly um, someone has to pay for it. So if there's someone that will pay for us to go in and make that difference in schools, we'd do it tomorrow. And where can they find you if you're listening? They can find me all over social media and Rebecca at your own place.org.uk. Simon, sorry, I'm aware I've been sealing all the questions that aren't even on the sheet. You've Hold done. On. It is a woman's podcast, Murphy. Yeah, no, that's exactly why I'm sitting back. No, but she did jump to the end question oh. before missing our favourite facepalm moment question. So... I think it's a good one to end on, actually. Let, let's end on this. Have you got one of those, Rebecca? Have you got a favourite face? And it, can, it doesn't have to be from your own place. I move at such pace. The challenges are so multiple and complex. And because I think I'm quite lucky in my sort of resilience, is I just plough through the screw-ups. So, yeah, I'm making sometimes hundreds of decisions a week on the fly with very little time and I make mistakes and I get stuff wrong but I just I fly through them I dust myself down and I think yes I could have said that better yes I could have put that better and and I iterate and I change things and I and I move on and I think you know I I, I talk to colleagues about the word failure you know we try try not to use it because it, it really you know is, is not relevant it's it's just it's learning it really is so yeah, I, there's almost, there's, there's nothing catastrophic, but at the same time, there are thousands of things I have got wrong because I knew nothing. You know, just this morning, I was updating one of our proposals again, because it's just not right. It's just not telling the story. And sometimes I lack the confidence to really nail it and be explicit. So yeah, there are, there are too many, I'm sorry. No, no, no. no sorry. That's, you know, that's, but the purpose of this is to get an insight into the, the need for things to go wrong to learn from them yeah. and that you know in our culture we're often sort of oh no everything's fine it's great you know I'll send you all my successes and I'll just hide the hide the mistakes under the rug and that's that's not how life works you know no, we are always making not. mistakes it's like, this is the first financial year you know we've made a massive loss 
you know, and as I said, I don't have any money. And yeah, because the market is, is on, in so much trouble and I'm just, it's so hard. It's so impossibly hard. All we can do is get up each morning and just keep going. Yes. And, and support those around us as well. Make sure that we are, are checking in and ask people how they are. It was a, a great answer to the question. And, I, and the reason that I think that is that actually <laughs> you've just displayed yourself as having all the hallmarks of a social entrepreneur. <laughs> so you don't attribute one failure. There's loads of them. There's loads of them, but we carry on regardless. Yeah, that that is one. The, the more we do this podcast and the more social enterprise leaders that I meet, like yourselves, yeah, the, the more I've arrived at that position. There's not a keynote failure. There is, yeah, there's a string of them, but yeah. it's it's the ability to park it, carry on yeah. and go, yeah, I did make a mistake, but now we've, we've got to do this. And yeah. that's part of it, isn't it? Yeah, but, but, but at risk of a whole nother podcast about imposter syndrome, I'm not even a social entrepreneur. You know, oh, I know good. More, okay. yeah. I, I'm no more a social entrepreneur than I am a unicyclist. I've done both once. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just something I do and then there'll be something else I'll do. We can all do so much. We're just given the opportunity and that's what your own place is in the business of, is, is giving the opportunity, just levelling out the opportunities a bit. Brilliant. Thank you. It's been so great to have you on and to hear your... <laughs> your insights and your experience and and yeah your your thinking about the world and, and what we can do better so yeah really appreciate you taking the time out and speaking with us today where can people find you we've, we've shared your own place website as well if they want to see you on twitter can they can people reach out and see see what you're about we'll share the blog as well that you mentioned yeah. too yeah absolutely um your own place on, on twitter your own place underscore on instagram your own place cic on facebook all of them with links to my own personal handles as well yeah lots and lots of ways to to get in touch interact with us talk to us communicate if you or one of your colleagues would like to find out more about the social enterprise development work at homeless link we will be holding our annual enterprise development conference on the 16th of november for tickets please go to homeless.org.uk forward slash event forward slash enterprise hyphen development hyphen conference Thanks for listening. Please subscribe for more episodes or follow us on Twitter at thismuch underscore we know or email us at thismuchweknow at homelesslink.org.uk. All good ideas, welcome.